as, as somebody who loves and respects what Brews News does, <laughs> would you rather pay, you know, if you were to buy a share of the business, which you don't um, have, but would you rather that I charged you a multiple of what the business was worth mm-hmm. or as a supporter, would you rather that I gave you a discount because I value your support? Well, would a discount mean that I'd only have to turn up for 45 minutes instead of an hour? <laughs> Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryomalt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryomalt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they are proud sponsors of this. And this is Brews News Week, our regular wrap of all that has made news in beer this week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me to take a good hard look at the news, the views and the issues are the founder and editor of Australian Brews News, Matt Kierkegaard, and ace reporter, senior journalist, Claire Burnett. G'day, guys. Morning. And, hey, uh, Pete. It, it's Pete phoned in Mitchum today. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's missed a trick there, though, because I would have preferred to be called Claire, it's coming home, Burnett. Can we all just talk about how England um, beat Denmark not half an hour oh, ago? I, I haven't caught up yes. with the update. Okay. So this is the first, the Euros 2020, 2021. And, 20, and you think the, you can beat Italy? <laughs> no, never going to happen. Never going to happen. <laughs> Mark my words. I can just, well, <laughs> anything can happen on the day, but it just means that we've got 50 years to look forward to England celebrating, you know, a win. <laughs> it's taken us this long to get to a final. This and they're the still talking final. about 66. <laughs> we are, it's true. We don't have a lot to go for us anymore. That was a World Cup, wasn't it? That yeah, was that was a World Cup. Yeah. yeah, this is this the Euros. Th- th- this is yeah. just the Euros. Yeah, yeah it's not and, even and proper. The, the and good I thought teams you're not even in it. Europe anymore. It's like Australia winning the Eurovision Song Contest. Isn't oh, it? but I love that. Eurovision suits that, though. Do you know what I mean? It's super weird, so that, it makes that, sense that Australia is in it. It's about as kitsch as the Euros. Yeah, whatever. yeah, very true. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I was just excited about that. Go on. Yeah, so uh, how are you guys travelling up there? Yeah, not too bad, actually. Yeah. Are, you in, are you in red zones or...? Uh, we're in mask. We have to wear a mask if we go yeah. outside. We socially distance in the office. Um, but yeah, look, you know, it's the new normal. It is. And a lo- as Claire wrote this week, a lot of breweries have never operated in normal. I know. How weird is that? Mm. They were born in the dark. That's what. That's a joke <laughs> I made. Born in the born dark. Born in the dark. <laughs> I wanted to do the. I, w- I wish I might have to get Joe to put the the clip in from from Bane saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Darkness is your ally. You merely adopted the dark. I was born in it. Anyway, sorry, Pete. We're completely getting distracted today. No, that's right. We have got a lot to get through, so uh, we'll cross live now to the Australian Brews News Media Centre for a wrap of the stories making news this week in beer. And, Claire, we begin with a story about a marriage made in the hop fields. Indeed. Uh, So, lovely Bentani, Bentani, Australia has acquired family-owned and operated Hopco. Based in Tasmania, Hopco, John and Sandy Ross founded it way back when, and they've been a staple in the industry for a while. But um, Bintani has obviously been on a big growth strategy uh, recently. They've opened a new Melbourne warehouse, and now they've decided that they wanted to expand their operations a little bit more. And I think the big draw card really for them for buying Hopco is that they have um, a link-up with uh, New Zealand Hops. Um, and I spoke to... Um, Phil Meddings, lovely chap, and uh, he was saying that um, you know that was a really um, it was it was a big draw card, and it, he was really optimistic about the future of New Zealand hops as well. So um, yeah, good little tie up there, be interesting. Yeah, it, it, and again, interesting time for beer. I, I mean, we're in a post craft beer world. I'm not even going to say craft beer because it's uh, the, the new normal for for brewing. Um, you know, we we saw a couple of years ago. Well, there was a shake-up um, as Cry Malt and Bintani swapped malt suppliers. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot that. Cry Malt uh, <laughs> had a long-term deal with uh, German foam uh, Palacia Malt. And uh, let's see, Bintani then went with Wyman, um, which came as a result of, you might remember that Bintani used to distribute uh, Yakima Chief. They then uh, partnered up with the uh, US-based Ra Corporation, which owns the Brewer Supply Group, which was in, I think, through one degree of separation in competition with YCH. So it's it's complicated. It is complicated, <laughs> but it's 
we, we talk about you know scale um, in in the the, the brewery realm um, and you know small breweries wanting to get their unit cost down and their production up and Bintani's just put a bigger warehouse and you know Sandy lovely guy but is there room in our market for a third major player in the hop supply area you know we, we are seeing partnerships and we are seeing those sorts of allocations so the end result will be well I, I'd imagine that brewers will win you know they'll, they'll be better served uh, across all of the hops that they're getting you know whether it's uh, you know Cryer who sponsor this podcast or Bintani who sponsor other, other elements of uh, what we do you know it, 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 it it's and, and Hopco was a sponsor as well so I, I guess we're not going to do terribly well out of it because we've lost a sponsor. Oh, crap. <laughs> you didn't even think about it like that. Oh, no. So, but, yeah, it's, it, it's it's just an interesting time where, you know, where we're seeing breweries you know, launch multiple venues. We're seeing partnerships. We're seeing, uh, you know, uh, Mighty Craft come in and uh, amalgamate. And this is another element of that. Um, and... Yeah, it, it, it comes to, to efficiency and, you know, effectiveness and all of those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, as, as Sandy said, you know, if anyone was going to take over the, the, the business, he's glad it was uh, Bintani. Yeah, no, it sounds like, a, a, as I say, marriage made in hop fields and um, the brewers, presumably, it will be the winners. Brewers also, I'm guessing, uh, speaking of brewers' new sponsors, uh, East Coast Canning <laughs> invests in digital can printing. Indeed. So this was an interesting one, and it, it was one of a number of projects that came off the back of these Manufacturing Modernisation Fund grants that we um, talked about last week. So this was just one of the projects, but I thought, oh, this is an interesting one. You know, let's have a look and see what East Coast is up to. So, um, yeah, I spoke to Chris Kelly, and he um, told me about the project, which is a direct-to-can uh, digital printing project. So it may- basically means they can print on- straight onto the can just using ink. They don't need to do any shrink sleeves. They don't need to do any lay and Chris said it would remove 20 tonnes of waste um, per annum from their canning operations, which is a big deal. But the project itself is worth like 5.8 million, um, which is a massive investment. I think it shows a lot about how well East Coast have done in the past year or so. Um, but this has been ongoing for a while. Um, Chris is explaining that, you know, they've been planning this for like a couple of years now, that this is where they thought the industry was heading in terms of printing and can design. He thinks it's in Australia first, so I don't think anybody else has um, this technology specifically for cans. So we'll have to have a look at that one, see how it goes, but it'll be really interesting to see how that works and what it does to the market. Um, as as we've do, as somebody mentioned on the Facebook page, what are Rowling's going to do about it when there's no shrinks, please? The thing about <laughs> our, you know, the subscribers, you know, we've, we've written articles um, about about Northern American brewers trashing HPA's selection processes, mm-hmm. you know, Rowling's great friends of the program, but this is competition. This is what makes the industry better. And yeah, I'm sure, I'm, hopefully the Rowling's guys understand that this is legitimate news. I'm sure they will. <laughs> I'm sure they will. <laughs> Brad's going to cut me off and be like, mm, But funnily uh. enough, it, the, the, one of the things that the Rowling's guys uh, have always said is that the, the, the shrink sleeves reduce the, the hard waste, you know, with the... Um, pieces of paper that come off the back of like the, the, the labels mm-hmm. and shrink wrap uh, was a way of dealing with those. So, um, yeah, it's a, it, it's all good for the marketplace mm-hmm. to have more choice. That's it. And all good businesses welcome competition and uh, new technologies because, you know, if they're in the same caper, they can look at doing the same thing but better. Build a better, better mousetrap and the world will beat a path to your door, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. That's the, the one thing. thing. <laughs> Yeah, um, not linking that in any way to um, some breweries uh, haven't invented mousetraps, Claire, but they also, um, an interesting story, have never known normal. They have not. Well, we were talking about this in the office briefly the other week and I thought, do you know what, maybe I should have a chat to some of these breweries. They'll, uh, we've, we do brewery openings, we do brewery radar, we track people as they go through their development processes. But a few have opened this year, so Slow Lane Brewing in Botany and um, Bucketees in Brookvale. And we followed their journeys and how they went and all this kind of stuff. But when you realise that they've opened and they've opened and they've never known normal trading, they've always had to do social distancing, they've always had to do masks, they've always faced snap lockdowns. Imagine what that does in your first year of business. Like... I was looking at some statistics, um, and according to the 2020 Small Business Counts report, for the first five years, only 65% of small businesses survive. 
which it does actually sound quite a lot, but then there's a big chunk that don't. Um, and that's obviously dependent on industry and startup investment and all sorts of things. Um, but also not many businesses make a profit in the first or even three years. So the fact is that not only are they really struggling to make ends meet, to pay back their upfront costs, to get this brand going effectively, but they've also got to deal with all the stuff that established breweries are also struggling with. Um, and it was really interesting insight from both of the the guys at Slow, Na- Slow Lane and Bucketees, uh, Nick McDonald and Alex Jarman. Um, they've done a bloody good job. Um, they've pivoted fast. They've seen what other people have done during the first COVID lockdown and they said, right, let's do that. That seems to work. Um, and for a small business that, and the guys, have, they've never done this before this is their first time um, running a brewery running a venue so they're having to learn this on the fly as well so it was just a really interesting story about how they were coping and and what they were doing and things like that um everyone's had it hard but um, I thought it just must have been so much harder to just open up and expect like the bar to be making money and then you have to shut down for two weeks or something what a nightmare it certainly wouldn't have factored into their business plans and when you look at you know like the Facebook groups that are discussing people planning on opening a brewery you know, if you take that back two years before COVID when those guys were planning breweries, God, how, how different was <laughs> the, the yeah, audience? Yeah. But then even, um, and we might potentially come back to this and below the fold, but I was really interested where, I can't remember which brewery said, you know, packaging our beer and putting it out into bottle shops, you know, to make $10, you know, the amount of work to make $10 on, on, on a case. It, mm-hmm. it shows how scale is really important for the people who are packaging beer and how many cartons of beer you need to be getting out and how many, you know, um, five cartons of beer, if, a bot- if the local bottle shop is taking five cartons of beer, that's a huge expense to go to just to get, you know, yeah, the, that small yield on, on the packaging. And I wonder how that marries up with something I posted to the Radio Brews News Group this week where I was just down, you know, I did what I... Normally avoid doing, but in in lockdown, rather than make multiple trips, I didn't go to my local independent bottle shop. I had to go get some supplies. Of needless to say, it was a Woolworths. Next to the Woolworths was a BWS. So I went in to grab a six pack of beer to sort of see what um, indie beer I could get. And the selection wasn't, you know, given this time last year, it was all local lover. The selection wasn't. <laughs> Stella, they had some of the big names, like they did have Black Hops, they had, um, you know, some of the bigger, small crafts, but mm-hmm. certainly not local to my, you know, Black Hops isn't local to me, Mm-mm. they're local to Queensland. But then in every category, you had a um, pinnacle brand. So, you know, whether it was the charity beer, you know, or the, the beer for a, in fact, there wasn't even a competitor, they had the send it down Huey. So if you wanted a lager that, you know, a percentage of the profits went to a charity. It was their beer, but every other they either had John Boston, um, you know, in in the furfy category they had their stubby. In the uh, sour beer, there was one independent, mm-hmm. and their um, version of a fruited sour. Um, and then you know they had one independent and their version of an IPA, their version of a um, thing. Then they had the James Squire, and then they had their John Boston. Um, side by side with it so every category and I think I counted 27 separate SKUs in you know the two two door fridges so four facings there were 27 pinnacle SKUs that was well over a third close almost closer to a half than it was to a third of the brands that BWS had Mm -hmm. And make them better money, make them better profit. Make them better profit. but <laughs> They're a bit of a Trojan horse, changeling child type thing, aren't they? That They come in and you think, oh, that's not too bad. Maybe it's diversifying the categories. Like maybe, you know, we'll, it'll help on the pricing for consumers or something like that. And then you're like, oh, but 50% of them are that. Nobody's going to know that. Yeah, but, well, that's the thing. Yeah. And they do have pinnacle brands. So if you, mm-hmm. go, if you are interested, they go looking. But obviously, mm-hmm. you know, it's not the old, yeah. you know, black and yellow home brand where you know you're getting home <laughs> brand the appearance of each of these is that they're targeting a segment of of, of the marketplace mm-hmm. bringing it back to to the chat that we had the new normal mm-hmm. i think of how many breweries said that their pivot to package saved them 12 months ago mm-hmm. um when that was the new normal and how many breweries um we've seen who have expanded on the back of you know when they went back to keg production they said well we couldn't make enough beer and uh, mountain culture was was one that 
you know, built their expansion on it. And we've seen a number of breweries on the Sunshine Coast, you know, build production breweries. And you just sort of wonder, well, how long was that pivot to package? How, how long was that sort of local and having a broad, as opposed to just your your, your very local bottle shop? I don't know. Mm. Um, anyway. Yeah. That was just my thought, so we'll, we'll wait and see. But it was a really interesting article. And some good news for a brewery that's going to open in what is whatever the new normal is, is uh, <laughs> friends of ours at Brewmanity who are going to have their own digs. Yeah, this is a good one. Um, really chuffed for them, uh, Brewmanity, the guys at Brewmanity. Um, they received council approval um, for a new brewery and tap room on Tope Street. I don't know where that is, Pete. Where's that? South, it's obviously in South Melbourne, but... It is. is it's it super uh, central? right smack in the middle. It's it's very close to, from memory, it's, it's near, uh, not far from King's Way, so, which is oh, like cool. the main drag straight through uh, that, that links the city and, and South Melbourne. Yeah. Um, not far from, uh, and listeners old enough to, this will mean something, but uh, Billy Bell's, uh, so Bell's Hotel. It's not, not, not sort of far, not too oh. far from there. It was one of the early uh, craft breweries. So oh, I do remember that back in the okay. days when I was editing Beer and Brewer. I think one of the first <laughs> yeah. launches that I went to was held at Billy Bell's. In, in fact, that was where <laughs> the very first craft brewer, brewers conference was held, I think, Never. Um, back yep. in the day. Not the one with yeah. the card tables. I no, love that no, story. this was even before it was. Even a, before this that. was when it was, you know, there, there wasn't even an association to organise wow. trade shows. Um, <laughs> yeah. Before, before Vammy. This yeah, is like the, pre, the precursor to, to Vami. So there would have been um, probably, yeah, and Billy's brand story was that he was born in the bathtub um, <laughs> on the first floor of the, uh, of the, the hotel. And <laughs> it, was probably, it was probably one of the first, certainly one of the early, uh, I, I don't know whether the G-Bung Polo Club was the, the first to put in a, a, a small brewery system. I think Bell's might have been, if, if not, it would have been close to the, the first or second there. In fact, mm. I think I first met Brad Rogers at Bill at uh, that hotel. There you go. <laughs> well, there we go. Oh, everyone. the good old days oh, brings a tear, a tear from my eye. But anyway, brewmanity. Yeah, brewmanity. <laughs> well, it's the holy grail, isn't it? To be a brewing brown, to have to contract brew or nomad brew or whatever you're doing, and then to actually get your own brewery. And this is like, what, six years after they found, I think 2015 um, was their first beer. Um, launch to market and yeah this is the literally the holy grail for breweries like who want to have their own site who want to have their own tap room so bloody congratulations to them Um, we'll obviously follow their progress and um, see how they get on and they've obviously got the council approval I think reasonably easily not super easy but we've had a few that have lasted years but this seems to be in an acceptable time frame Um, so we'll just follow it along see how they go but yeah congrats guys it's uh, amazing news yeah, and shout out to uh, to Nita and uh, and Foxy and all out there at Brewmanity. And I was lucky enough to be out at Grain and Grape when they brewed, if not the first, then certainly one of the one of the first um, two hundred and fifty liter sort of pilot brews for uh, for what was to become the Social Beast. So hopefully, I'll um, I'll get an invite to come out and and see the first brew on the um, yeah, the big boy pants system. <laughs> Brilliant. Speaking of brewing professionals, there's a shout out to uh, brewing professionals for TAFE, New South Wales, Claire. Yeah, so the Independent Brewers Association has been working with a lot of um, state-based TAFEs and this time they're looking for um, experienced brewing professionals um, to train as teachers and assessors just to really bolster their presence and, you know, keep that going. It's a bit of a tricky one though because I think to be a TAFE teacher you need you need to have five years experience in the industry or a qualification in three years. And you also need to have this um, like training certificate that you can basically teach. Um, and I think that's proved a bit of a hurdle sometimes. But the what the IBA, IBA have done is they've agreed basically that you can do this quick module and then you can um, train people under supervision. And then if you want to, you can get the full certificate and then you can just be fully um, fully trained as a teacher with TAFE. Um, so it's amazing. It's a really good opportunity to share your knowledge, spread that and share it with the next generation. Uh, so yeah, if you can um, have a look, on, I'm sure it'll be in the show notes um, and there's a form to fill in and things like that um, in the article. So get involved on that. And um, Richard Adamson actually from Young Henry, Henry's has been spearheading this one. Mm. He's been really active hasn't he in in doing this and trying to get these things pushed over the line as well so that's awesome as as he said on a number of occasions you know 
a, a lot of what the IBA is pushing for in terms of resources from governments is predicated on the growth of the industry and the growth of the industry is going to see, you know, they sort of, oh, there's going to be 7,000 jobs. That's a very positive yeah. thing. But the flip side of that is where are those jobs going to... Yeah. Who's going to fill them? Yeah, who's going to fill them? You know, it's clearly not a great thing for local employment. It's not the same success story if you have to look for all of those jobs overseas. Yeah, ship them all in. Yeah, yeah, ship them all in. It's <laughs> kind of like, well, we're creating jobs, but are they, go, you know, are, are they based here, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. training people up. And there are, you know, a lot of people are asking, where, you know, how can I get skills and how can I get that entry into the industry? Um, and yeah, very, very exciting and it's great to see. And I think you know, it, it's one of the things that I don't think the IBA has been able to announce yet, but there's a lot that they're doing in the background that hopefully we'll be able to uh, sort of talk about in, in the near future. Something else that the IBA are planning in the background is this year's BrewCon and mm-hmm. uh, applications are open, Claire, for uh, Pink Boots Society's annual scholarships. Yes, indeed. And obviously, disclaimer, I am a member of Pink Boots um, Society Australia. Do you so. need to disclaim it because you're I a member? Know. But, like, you're not a if, I, owner. Like, like, you... Yeah, that's true. But I'd like to just... Because, you know... It's not like it's a conflict I'm not being... Yeah, yeah. But it's, hopefully it's, not. It's one of those things you're a member of it because it's valuable and worthwhile mm. as opposed to, you know... <laughs> <laughs> for, for the for the kudos. For, for the same reason yeah, we yeah. want to talk about it on, on, because it's valuable and worthwhile. So it's kind of I, like an alignment true. of interest rather than a conflict it, of interest. I like that. I like that a lot. An alignment of interest, yeah. And I just don't want anyone to think that I was being um, a favourite... Doing favouritism, being uh, yeah. a complete despot, being like, oh, well, I'm a p- member of Pink Boots, so uh, <laughs> I'll plug you at every available opportunity. But I will. Um, anyway, they do a scholarship uh, for their members... Um, every year to attend BrewCon. Um, I met a friend of mine, Thea, who works at CUB. Um, the first year I went, and it was lovely. It was just a nice environment. It was great to have a chat and meet everybody in the industry. Fantastic thing to be a part of. And also, if you're, especially if you're a younger brewer or part of the industry, um, and you might not have been able to go to BrewCon otherwise, because um, it is reserved for um, the higher-ups, usually, I'd say, in, in a business, um, then go for it. This is a great opportunity to attend and and just meet everybody in the industry, go to all the um, BrewCon uh, speakers and all the workshops and everything they do there. Um, it's It'll be brilliant. Go for it. Excellent. And I presume we'll have a link in the show notes indeed. or you can go yes. to the website or the IBA website or the Pink Boots. You can indeed. Websites. <laughs> Applications open now. Um, that includes flights. So if you oh, yeah, are based in Queensland, uh, they'll fly you up there. Brilliant. What, if you're in Queensland? No, if you're not in Queensland. Oh, okay. So the, the conference is <laughs> in like Queensland, really. obviously, um, yeah, yeah. and assuming borders are open. In Queensland, you've got to walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what Matt's making me do. <laughs> okay, go. All right. Uh, that's it for the news. Uh, thanks for joining us if you do need to head off now. The second part, which we call Below the Fold, is coming up very shortly after this word from our sponsors. Support for this episode comes from Scar Fabricating. Scar Fabricating builds reliable automated packaging line equipment that is handcrafted to make life easier for brewers and their production team. So if you're a brewer looking for the best way to get your product out of the tap room and into the hands of your customers, Scarfab has you covered with a wide range of depalletizers, custom conveyance, date coating, rinsing, drying systems, uh, a whole lot more. I wonder if they've even got like shrink wrapping machines or digital printing, you know, to come in the future. I'm sure they'll be able to accommodate it. If anyone can, Scarfab can. They specialise in helping breweries of all sizes get their beer from keg to can. To find out more about how Scarfab can help you sell more beer, visit www.scarfabricating.com today. That's S-K-A fabricating.com to get started today. That's it. But now we're back <laughs> for Below the Fold. And we start below the fold with Mailbag. And Mailbag is uh, thanks to our good friends at New Zealand Ale Trail. Contact them at um, www.nzaletrail.com or you can look at at nzaletrail or one word on uh, all the social media to find the best beer experiences in New Zealand. You might like to go and check out New Zealand Hops because, you know. Um, yeah, apparently they're really good. Good friends at B- and Bintani now can, can look after you with, with that sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah, scoping back, scoping back, scoping back. Now, don't forget, you can um, uh, review us on iTunes or you can send us in an email to be in the draw for the letter of the week. 
that will be part of Mailbag, thanks to NZ Trail. You can also join our Facebook group. Just search Radio Brews News and use the password Soapbox. Who's been active this week, Claire? We've had a lot going on in the Facebook group and on just the standard Facebook page. Um, but in the group, uh, Ryan Lumby says, in 2019, BWS copped backlash for partnering with Dry July to promote alcohol-free beer. In 2021, I've had emails advertising and news articles every day trying to sell me alcohol-free beer for Dry July. What's changed? Um, look, I think a few, quite a few people replied, um, but Zoe Ottaway, um, contributor occasionally to the Beer is a Conversation mm-hmm. podcast, um, she said, us, their customers, we've changed in 2020, had a big part to do with that. In 2019, it was almost suspicious to drink no alcohol, especially as a woman. <laughs> yeah, amen. Uh, in 2021, we understand that people want to take it easier, but still treat or reward themselves for getting through another day. <laughs> As I take a sip of my 7.5% Belgian triple on a Wednesday night. <laughs> Very impressive. And, but it makes a good point, you know. Mm. And, but the, the, the backlash that Ryan was talking about was from fair, you know, they basically were insinuating that it was grooming. You know, that the alcohol-free Tro- beer. Trojan horsing. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, was yeah. trying to get... Get in with the alcohol-free beer and then unleash, you know, 7.5 Belgian triples on Wednesday nights. Which just <laughs> shows that their agenda is an inbuilt suspicion of big breweries. Um, as you see with a lot of advocacy groups and people who advocate a cause, they never celebrate when they have a win because they're so deeply entrenched in their being anti yeah. the people that they were attacking. That and to, if they win, if something, if they have a win, it means that they are making themselves obsolete because they're never they, do, they aren't needed. Yeah, they're never going to do themselves out of a job. So, yeah. you know, the sky is always going to be falling, um, which, yeah. Um, so it was, a really, it was a really good point that uh, Ryan made uh, this week because it was. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when we reported on it on the podcast um, talking about the, the, the backlash. Claire's even reached out to yeah. Fair for a story that we're looking at um, because, you know, one of the drums that I've been beating is, well, what you know, we're seeing a lot of media um, about alcohol-free beer, but what are the stats? What are, you know, yeah. what are the genuine stats? And even the most recent, having seen 1% and 200% growth for alcohol-free beer, the most recent article I saw was Woolworths, which was reporting 1% and 200% growth of alcohol-free beer was... Mm-hmm you know, 78% or 80-something percent growth. You go, well, hold on, that's less than it was six months ago. Mm-hmm. So is it growing or is it, you know, <laughs> is it explosive growth or is it tapering? Or exactly. It's still a small base and, you know, what and you know, Claire reached that's out it. to Fair to, well, you, you tell the story. <laughs> oh, well, Claire. I was going to say, because we'd had, as, as Matt says, we've discussed this in the office. We were like, what do we do about it? You know, what should we, what are the issues here? What do we need to discuss? And there's obviously the two things which is wellness trends people drinking less um we hear that line all the time people drinking less but drinking better um so that's why sale that sort of explains uh, impartially explains why sales are going up but um in lots of places bottle shops and things like that um but potentially liters are going down but the other thing was obviously no alcohol and i said to them i said i emailed fair and i emailed the cancer council and i thought do you know what you know we're, we're fair here, we, in, in F-A-I-R, um, in that we try and have both sides of the argument. I want to know if, like, do you disagree with this? Do you disagree that people are drinking less fair or cancer council? Um, and do you, what do you think of no alcohol? Is it, Do you still feel the way you felt about it in 2018? And I said, what, do you have any comment on that? And also, do you have any data or research or anything to, to sort of back up those claims as well? And they replied to me, so ridiculous. And they were just like, yeah, we don't have a comment and we don't have any data. And I was like, what What are you for? What do you exist for? Aren't, You're aren't not you educating or researching anything. Research? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, isn't this the thing that you're meant to have? Your research yes, on... One of those two things would be good. But they don't like to go out to the press unless they know they're going to get good like positive coverage because they don't like to be part of a conversation that's two-sided they want to be part of a conversation they don't actually want to educate they don't want to discuss they don't want to engage um they just want to they're a Mm -hmm. they're they're a partisan Mm anti-alcohol lobbying body that you know apparently doesn't even have research on whether people are drinking more or less Mm -hmm. um you know they cherry pick the data that they want um which is often anecdotal Mm -hmm. as um, as we've seen yeah but yeah it just i really tried and i was like nah i'm all right thanks mm. let's why, uh, why anyway. we engage with you yeah so ryan good point yeah <laughs> good point and, well and claire at least we're moving ahead because at least you got a 
a response this time, even <laughs> if it was a yes, shit response. Yes, exactly. That's it. I think it was a little PR lady that did it. Like she the non response. I think response. she might have been young, and she did, she replied thinking, "Oh, this will be nice. I'll talk to media." <laughs> Didn't realize that it was going to be difficult for her. But anyway, yeah. Um, but my, I mean, continuing on that vein, then. Um, this is another thing we've been discussing in the office. Um, Mike Morgan, um, he posted a, on your post, I think, about yeah, zero alcohol. Yeah, I, I posted. I was just on Trove, and Trove is such a rabbit hole. If anyone's never done it, it's a um, database of scanned old newspapers. What on earth were you doing on there? That's what I use for my research. Yeah, well, I was, I was actually looking for. Um, <laughs> get your bingo cards ready. I was, I was actually looking. There was an article on Brew on the Ballarat Courier, mm. um, but it was behind a paywall, and I was just wondering uh. whether it was one of these ones that's on any of the news, you know, the yeah. state library state newspaper sites, and it, yeah. and, and um, it wasn't. So I had to shell out four dollars. Um, Should have just emailed the journalist. Yeah, that's, I'll do it for that, you. but that's really know scabby. You know, yeah, and look, it's, there, there was good coverage. But anyway, yeah. but yeah. So anyway, so I was researching just about how the local councillor um, doesn't want Brew to be able to sell the land for a five million dollar profit. It should be taken back off them. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, as we discussed on the podcast last mm-hmm. week, um, and and so I found there, and I just sort of found I don't know what it was, but it, I went down a rabbit hole, and suddenly this beer came up, and it was talking about this person who's invented a way to extract alcohol from beer and it still tastes the same. And, and it was from like 1911 or something like that. It was from 1911 it? and the comments were made were exactly the same. And the thing that struck me was that the arguments against it were the same arguments I was making, that, you know, people drink for the alcohol, you know, and it's and you acquire the taste for beer as a delivery for the alcohol. Um, not in a negative way, not in an irresponsible way, but, you know, as we've talked about, alcohol has been an important part in our evolution for a whole and so it, it's almost that light intoxication the way that it releases dopamine and serotonin mm-hmm. and things like that mm-hmm. is actually hardwired into us to, to some extent um, and I, I, I found that fascinating and you know that we might think that the debates that we're having in 2021 uh, um, are new but 110 years ago um, God, doesn't that sound like a I long know, time? I know, I um, know. We were having the same discussions um, uh, uh, about it. Now, whether times have changed and, you know, a, a new generation, um, as I said in, in my post. But anyway, so um, I, I posted this interesting article from uh, 1911. Um, and as Michael uh, Morgan said, the first part that struck me is it's cheap. You know, they were talking about the the, the non-alcohol version was cheap. Um, today we found a way to extract the alcohol, but we still pay the same price for a carton of alcohol-free beer, mm-hmm. which is, I, I think, really interesting. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I, do you see caffeine-free coffee as being a value-add? Um, mm. You know, do you like the value of... Do you like And the does taste? it bring people to said category that wouldn't drink coffee before because they don't like caffeine, they don't want caffeine, it's nothing that's part of their diet, it's wellness and yeah. health trends or whatever, or is it just... I drink four or yeah. five cups of coffee a day. I love the taste of coffee, but only in conjunction with the caffeine. Like, I, I, I just don't see the point in <laughs> For the drinking, joy of tasting bitter coffee. Yeah. Um, I just don't see the point in drinking cafe- decaffeinated coffee and mm. certainly not paying for the privilege of it. Um, but it's interesting you say that because then we had a discussion in the office about mocktails and about why someone would pay $12 for a mocktail that doesn't have anything in it. But then it's that's a little bit different in that it's in a venue setting and you're out and, you know, you don't want to be there with a can of pop, effectively. The only person that I've ever had a mocktail with was my underage daughters. <laughs> so, I don't know. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, it's an interesting one because from a hospital point of view, the, making a mocktail it still involves the same quantity of labour. Mm. It's, like, it's not like you're making a full-strength drink and then adding an extra process to remove the alcohol. Um, so I've always thought, yeah, I, I, kind, I, I kind of get the, the mocktail side of things. As far as the... But there's still the a saving on the ingredients because alcohol, you know, you still oh, have... It's probably the most mm-hmm. single most expensive yeah. ingredient, even though you're only using, you know, 27.5 mils per, um, you know, per shot. Um, that's still, yeah, that, that is still an expensive uh, thing. At the end of the day, you know, look whether it's mocktails or um, alcohol-free beer, whatever, I think people will will try to charge what they think the market will bear. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
And I, yeah. But we've talked about this before, Pete, that people have the perception that they should be paying less for no alcohol. Whether whether that's fair or not is a different matter, but that's the perception. And, you know, when people do see, uh, I don't know, six-pack of no alcohol for 20 bucks, then they're going to be like, oh, well, why would why bother with that? Because that's well expensive. That's like the same as but, an but actual then, Yeah, but then other, pe- other people will take a, you know, swish, swizzle the eyeballs to the left and see that the um, the imported German one is ten ninety nine uh, a six pack. So mm. maybe did they go? Oh well, I might try that one rather than you know at the expense of, of the local one. Yeah. I I think here it's probably driven by the perception that a lot of the cost of beer and we've been banging on about it for a decade now um, is the the tax side of things. So it's mm-hmm. regardless of ingredients, regardless of technique, regardless of how much you're paying your brewer and and how good your packaging is and your labelling and all that sort of stuff. It's still, you know, twenty eight dollars, whatever the the figure is that we use at the moment as the benchmark, um, you know, goes straight to, you know, the treasurer, which it's not in alcohol free beer. So, like again, you know, yeah, when the industry has been saying we need tax excise because, you know, forty two cents, you know, in every dollar spent on beer goes to the government. You know, well, okay, you're not giving that to the government anymore. Where's my forty two cents? And it's a harder story to tell. Um, and I think Paul Bowker from Brick Lane in one of the posts a while back made some good comments about, you know, the like the physical cost because you are adding an extra. If you're, if you're brewing a beer with alcohol in it and then going through that extra step of removing the alcohol, that is that is a, you know, that's that's time and it's it's an expense and it's equipment and all that sort of thing. So I, I kind of get that. But I think it's, yeah, it, at the end of the day, we're going to have to work out a way to if, – if people like the Bitburger Zero or the Heineken Zero or, you know, the, the other ones that are the, you know, the $10 a six-pack ones, uh, they're going to either have to compete with those or say, no, look, we, we won't do Zero Elk anymore. But isn't your competition in Zero Elk against soft drink rather than, you know, the, the, the I don't the know framing. if people are looking at that now. Sure. I don't, I, yeah, I, I think maybe we've moved on from – it's possible that, that that perception is still there. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tricky one. Um, but I'm talking to a few brewers that work in that space, um, so we'll we'll have more to talk about yeah. only next week. Plenty of fodder for future episodes. <laughs> one interesting uh, element of Gabs this year in Melbourne that I noticed was there were two, three, two or three um, non-alcoholic offerings is that um, uh, the way of the future for beer festivals to evolve as we see that they are facing challenges, as we saw in New Zealand? Ah, yeah. This was a good one. Nice little segue. Yeah. Uh, go, Pete, th- this is something that you and I have discussed for, you know, for, for years on the podcast about beer festivals, and you know, e- even recently before this article came in, um, you know, the, the beer festival as we know it, um, and even Good Beer Week, was a way to promote craft beer when, you you know, if you went to a pub, you didn't see craft beer anywhere. Um, and the only way most brewers could get exposure for their products was to have an event where you had people could come in and sample a whole range of craft beers. And that was... And, the, and the, talk to the brewer and engage and, with the brand. Yeah, All of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was... So it was a way to get to market and create demand for it. But now, like, if you go to, you know, uh, Brewski in Brisbane or, you know, the Tap House in Melbourne or um, the Grain Store in Newcastle, they're basically, you know, a, a beer festival because they've 24 got... 24-hour beer festival, like a seven-day-a-week beer festival. Without a cover charge um, and, and, and all of those things. And so we ha- and we've seen it, particularly um, you and I talked about it a little bit where Beer Insider, which was a terrific Brisbane beer festival... But I remember when I went on the Friday night, you know, at closing time, because it was a music festival, the crowd was a little bit different than you got at the beer festival and the attitude and the, like, all of that vibe about the event was different, that people weren't necessarily there to sample, they were there to drink, or they were there for the music, and because of the dynamic of some of those entertainment festivals, you know, alcohol always had a cap on it and that's where you know the 3.5 you know the football and the 3.5 at you know concert venues and things like that the mid-strength so you didn't get people just getting smashed um and as we've seen the evolution of beer festivals um into more music venue 
but serving 9% beers. We have seen some of the street issues, some of the problems, um, you know, after the event you know, in this article, the site, one of the licensing people talked about, you know, a patron vomiting into the water fountain oh. while they're clutching their um, espresso martini. Oh, God. And you're going, well, that's not, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. We're not in, <laughs> you know, beer festival yeah. um, territory when mm-hmm. people are getting shit-faced on espresso martinis. Um, yeah, that was where they went wrong on that one. <laughs> espresso martinis. That's not really a beer festival if there's loads of st- well, available but, options like that, no? But the argument, and the, the argument the brewers are saying is, well, we want to reach new audiences. Then maybe have a wine or a cider option. Don't go full ham for the content <laughs> straight away. That's crazy. But, the, well, the, again, the, and I think it's a legitimate mm. argument, is the legitimate argument is you've, well, you want to get the espresso martini drinker in and hopefully get them to try maybe a fruited sour or try something like that. Mm-hmm. Problem is, you're going to get a whole lot of yeah. people who are just getting smashed on espresso, or they're going to get express, smashed. You know, it's it's not just espresso mm-hmm. martinis; it's people drinking schooners of imperial stouts yeah. Um, yeah. or you know, pints of um, stouts. But is that not inevitable as beer, be- craft craft beer becomes bigger, right. that you're going to get more people in it, and then you're going to necessarily going to get more people that. Are don't ne- behave but in the way you want them to. But this is why we're in the post-craft beer. And it, 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 again, and I'm not being mm. like I'm not being Mr. Prescient. Um, this is me being a couple of years ago the canary in the coal mine. When when you see the potential for problems, and it was when uh, David Cryer at the first Beervana that I went to in New Zealand when it was still in the Wellington Town Hall. Um, you know, I think two people out of four and a half thousand people had been ejected. Um, and I said, well, you know, that's what, as a percentage of your total, and he goes, no, but it was 100% increase on last year. Uh, and that's where your attitude to these things really, and so he was trying to, um, this is when he still ran it, trying to make sure that it wasn't a growing problem. Um, again, like the, the margin of error when you're talking about such small numbers um, is, you know, is, is so small that it's relevant, but... It was that mindset that made me think, oh, yeah, we really need to work on making sure that beer festivals are good corporate citizens mm-hmm. because otherwise the idea of the beer festival, as sparked this article, where council are really clamping down on, the, 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 I think it was the Wellington or um, the, the, the town particular town council mm-hmm. wanted to... Um, Auckland. Or Auckland also. wanted to clamp down on it and... You know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when I was dealing with liquor licensing in Queensland on things like um, craft beer permits and things like that, you could see that they were coming at it from the traditional perception of beer as being, and it's the example that I that I still use today, you know, was the perception of the beer drinker was the bunch of blokes at the cricket with watermelon helmets making the biggest snake. And that is the perception that beer had at the time, and craft beer was meant to be changing that. Um, and we've seen this full circle completed where beer festivals have morphed and evolved to chase an audience. They're bringing in mainstream people who aren't necessarily there to sample. Mm-hmm. They're there to have a good day out, and for a percentage of them, mm-hmm. a good day out isn't sampling responsibly. And um, you know that can put a cloud over any beer event if there aren't good operators, if there aren't people who are self-regulating. Um, so, yeah, really. And then uh, actually just to go off on a, well, a little bit of a tangent, Luke Phillips um, in the comments uh, raised a really interesting comment about another aspect of beer festivals. And that's um, uh, just to very quickly summarise it. As craft beer goes from in- infancy to becoming a teenager, and I'd actually say it's well out of its awkward teenage years now. We're now in uh, sort of adulthood. Um, uh, regards to awareness, a few years back, uh, the majority of craft breweries' only venue of marketing was to, this is what I was saying. Um, so, uh, so they they attended because it was their avenue. Mm-hmm. These days, the events have become so big, they've become expensive breweries are shouldering a portion of that because they're one of 30, 40, 50 breweries at the event, the awareness that they get as a brand isn't there for them. You can argue that it's not even really as much about craft beer anymore because everyone knows 
craft beer because of the, of the venues and breweries are going to be looking at much more what is my financial return from being at this event. Um, and you've got staff burnout, you've got the health of having um, staff at things, you've, you've got the financial cost of being at these things. So yeah, the, the whole um, future of beer festivals um, you know, is up for discussion mm-hmm. from so many angles. Yeah, and just to finish off on that, all the beer festivals that I've been to and I've been involved in quite a few, you've, you've seen them all evolve over over time and some have fallen over, um, partly some because, you know, the you know, the founders fatigue, you know, the owners don't want to, or the, the operator doesn't want to doesn't want to do it anymore. Uh, with some, it's, it's council, you know, um, I guess trying to stamp their authority and make it, make it more difficult um, or, you know, more stringent regulations um and in other cases you know the the punters go eh, it's, it's not what it used to be it's it's not what i'm looking for anymore or i don't need it so um i think we'll see yeah a, a further evolution of um of the beer festival mm. Mm. interesting to see speaking of value uh are breweries worth their csf valuations no oh sorry sorry, sorry. <laughs> we, 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 i thought you were asking a question right. uh our next my next question <laughs> No, good, good article. This was a great article from uh, Claire last week. Uh, yeah, sort of uh, just kicking around the idea. And again, I, I, I don't know if anyone's seen um, beer cartel, beer cartel mm. up to $900,000. Yeah, the yeah, average is still amazing. over $1,300. Mm-hmm. I shared with you guys this morning, they did a breakdown. I think 24 people have invested over $10,000. Oh, who's got dollars. that lying around is what I want to uh, know. Look, I, and I would argue that if you were investing over $10,000 in a CSF, mm-hmm. you're investing. Like you see it yeah, as yeah. an investment. You're not doing it just to get your lifetime. Help, help your mates out. Or, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, lifetime. That's a big we'll a chunk of, of change, that. And or wear a T-shirt yeah, you're a supporter. There are is, it, is it possible that they're, um, that's maybe some of the, you know, the owners or their families? Uh, um, well, no, because I, I would... <laughs> I don't think the owners are hey, allowed Pete, to. Now, as, as somebody who loves and respects what Brews News does, <laughs> would you rather pay, you know, if you were to buy a share of the business, which you don't um, have, but would you rather that I charged you a multiple of what the business was worth mm-hmm. or as a supporter, would you rather that I gave you a discount because I value your support? Well, would a discount mean that I'd only have to turn up for 45 minutes instead of an hour? <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Man, I, we'll I, get you freebies or something. Yeah, but but that's the thing, you know. So if if it's a family, they're, they're mm. based. Yeah, I, I don't think it's family that are no. investing. Just like you know, with the batch guys, when I asked well, them the that, question, that was just my initial thought because I thought, well, who else would have would would want to you know tip that sort of money into? Yeah, I look I, I, like I, a really supportive parent or something. I'm like spe- that. yeah. Well, uh, again, well, I don't know. Maybe, but you'd think that they would have invested before. Um, you know, rather than through the crowd, not at that, yeah. Um, if they were going to do that, but yeah, I look it's speculating, but I'd imagine it's people who see it as a as an investment, hoping one day that beer yeah. cartel is going to be. But that's the point because one of the experts who I spoke to for that um, article was just like ordinary. They, they do things in crowdfunding that ordinary investors would never let them get away with mm. in a normal normal in quotation marks yep. um, investment situation and one of those things is that their valuations are really difficult to figure out work out find um if you don't already know where to look effectively or you don't know how to work it out if you're just a normal person come off the street you'd have to research that and find it out and you should but the fact is they don't make it as easy as they should because that's the number one thing an investor a professional investor would look for is how much you're valuing your company but it we, we worked out a load of them as well, which I thought were really interesting. Um, so of the most recent ones, I think we did um, O'Brien, co-conspirators, beer cartel, and just worked out how much their valuations and stuff were. And that's I don't think that's their fault. I think they take the cue from the, pl- the platform, their accountants, whatever, whoever they take advice from about how to lay this offer document out. And they might not necessarily think about these issues, um, but for us it was quite an important one. And it was really interesting. One of the experts who is an expert in specifically equity crowdfunding was just like, yeah, so just basically think of it as a donation. <laughs> it's not a – which we've said before. It's But that's the thing. But it's not. <laughs> but, but, and, and, and that's the, the way CSF should be. Mm. And, and look, again, if people – love the business and want to support it and want their little bit of 5% discount and free shipping or whatever, mm. um, you know, go for it. And, that, and that's yeah. where I've got absolutely no problems, except these things 
uh, pitched as an investment, they're marketed as an investment, all of the talk in the prospectuses is you know they even use the word investment mm-hmm. they you know use multiples and uh you know like investments are mm-hmm. and if you've tipped 10 grand in um you, you're not going to get it again look for any brewery that has ever sold except to, to the big guys who are the, the very strong very hyped breweries any business that has changed hands in the private market has gone nowhere near the valuation. And, you know, you try and get $14 million for your brewery making 300,000 litres a year. Yeah, you know, again, it was very insightful for me when I spoke to the batch guys um, and they had had a investor come in, you know, 12 months ago um, who had bought out, you know, who had bought out a couple of the early investors and they were able to quantify it at 285% return on their investment. So that sophisticated investor who was coming in buying wasn't coming in at the valuation that the CSF came in. And I would argue that if you were selling your business on the open market to give it a return to your investors, whatever that valuation was is what the business is really worth. Everyone else who has gone through the CSF um, has made a donation, mm-hmm. which is fine. Just don't call it an investment. Yeah. If you can afford to tip ten grand in, you know, oh, mate. Like this, maybe just waiting around until you know they're snapped up by Bintani and you. <laughs> <laughs> what? Have, have you I got in? a highly respected beer news publication oh. that uh, you know I, I can interest you in? Um, uh, well, we painted ourselves into a corner now because we can't do any equity crowdfunding because we've just slayed it for the past six weeks. Unless we do the opposite and just completely undervalue it. Ooh, good idea. Could do that. And just for a guy, I can't lose. Well, <laughs> speaking of brew, no, yeah. um, <laughs> no but we will, we will finish off uh, with um, people wanting to tick off the last square on their uh, brews news buzzword bingo board, and that is um, brew dog. We're in the news yet again this week. Okay, oh, now this isn't necessarily well, about brew To be brew fair, dog. And I did say to Claire, this isn't a <laughs> brew dog story. Um, but uh, because, again, again, this shows the nature of news, though. Mm. Um, the fact that they've all put brew dog into the story. And into the headline. This is the rod that brew dog has made for themselves by being, cha- you know, over the history of their business, by courting newsworthiness. As soon as they do something bad, it is automatically newsworthy in the way that it probably wouldn't be for any other brewery. Um, so this is like every Seltzer brand is whistling, dog whistling to the healthfulness of Seltzer, um, you know, by talking and putting in things that are health claims, gluten-free, you know, um, lower Calories. kilojoules, all of those sorts yeah. of things that are quasi-health claims or suggestive of healthfulness. Um, and Brewdog was one of the brands that got slapped over the knuckle and suddenly they're in the headline. But this is actually something that pretty much every Seltzer brand in, in Australia has done as well. They've talked about all of the things without actually saying this is healthy. Like you say, there's all these signals that they're trying to say, or they're, the underlying subtext of it is that this is healthier, yeah. healthier yeah. option same, for same you. Fewer, fewer calories than, uh, you know, something else. Yeah, yeah. Is a comparison that doesn't say it means it, we're saying it's healthier, but it's insinuating that yeah, it's healthier. It's a, yeah, it's healthier than that the, thing. The, yeah. the one thing that Brewdog did do was that they said, we can't tell you that this is healthy, <laughs> but... It's only got. Yeah, it was a good. It was a good follow up ad. Yeah, oh yeah, and then they've doubled down on it. Um, oh, so as, lame, as Brewdog, lame. As but is the Brewdog way. It has is the Brewdog way. Um, but we haven't obviously as part of ABAC, they say that you can't make um, claims that uh, an alcoholic beverage is has any therapeutic or health benefits, um, and they have wrapped people on the knuckles mainly like. I think it was a gin brand recently that we were saying that they have X, Y, and Z in terms of, I don't know, minerals or other crap in it. Yeah. Incidentally, and and, and this is, again, canary in the coal mine stuff. Mm. At the moment, FSANS, the Food Standards Body Mm -hmm. for Australia New Zealand, is debating whether um, energy, you know, um, energy labeling labeling should be on beer. And craft brewers are going, we can't afford it. Um, you know, we yeah. can't afford to get our beers tested and putting, you know, the, the energy um, nutrition panel, nutrition mm-hmm. panel um, on. Uh, suddenly you've got these craft breweries that when it suits them, <laughs> you know, when they've got a product that is skewed towards people who are in, you know, uh, people who are drinking seltzer want to feel better about not changing their behaviour. Um, you know, they still want to drink alcohol, but they want to feel better about it. Mm-hmm. And so... 
you know, I'll, I'll include Brewdog as a small um, brewery, but, you know, like craft breweries that probably don't want to put food labelling on their beer when it comes to another product, quite happily to make those claims, quite happily to make the um, put the, the thing on so they can um, say it's this is how many kilojoules they've got. Um, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, we can't, we're not big enough to test, but then on one particular product that suits our purposes, we are willing to test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then they use it as marketing. The key with this one too was that they were um, the the various Brewdog and the other hard seltzer brands were under fire for making quote misleading health claims, mm-hmm. um, and then they were the ads were banned by the advertising watchdog for making unsubstantiated health claims. So if you can make if you can substantiate your health claim, then you are you allowed to do it or? Well, in in, in fact, you can't make health claims about alcohol. So, yeah, you can't. Yeah, yeah so yeah, we'll stop. Yeah. Not here anyway, I don't know. That was obviously a UK, UK one. Yeah. I'm sure they have similar provisions for stuff like that, yeah. though. But, but either way, if any of um, our listeners who are brewers um, are, are keen to change their labelling to reflect unsubstantiated health claims, um, <laughs> I would suggest you speak to our friends at Rellings Labels Stickers and Packaging because they're able to not just supply labels for your cans or your bottles, they can also supply printed or blank cartons, can trays, tap decals, barcodes, shrink sleeves, and I'm sure in the future they'll be looking at uh, digital can printing um, you know, at, at, at point of, of filling. Um, the guys often get asked where the brewery would buy a shrink sleeving machine to apply the sleeves to the cans. Um, it, it's a silly question. Um, the cans come to your door pelletised, ready to fill. There's nothing more to do except call 1300 852 235 to discuss further. Snuck it in. Good one. Very smooth. Uh, yeah, so, uh, but I was keen to look at yeah, the difference between misleading and then unsubstantiated. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, I would have thought that there was something, if you say, well, this has got half the sugar of a regular beer, you can yeah, substantiate that. That can be that's, true, yeah. You, you, that, can, you can prove that. That's but, it. Yeah. But, but at what point you, are you making a health claim? You can't claim say, like therefore, it is healthy. Well, well, well no, yeah. but if but in BrewDog's case, they were saying, we're not allowed to make health claims. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but this, we'll tell you this. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure what the um, logical fallacy, you know, the, the logical fallacy is between those two. The cardiologist two. matter allowed to say, um, you know, one or two glasses of wine, red wine per week. Or, no, you they're know, not. Uh, no, good, well, they yeah, do well, I don't know that they do. Because there's that whole claim about revesterol um, or whatever it is, is supposedly good for something. But the level of revesterol, there's revesterol, please correct my pronunciation on that, but revesterol or whatever it is, which is a miracle ingredient in red wine, exists in beer as well. But in beer and red wine, it exists at such low levels that you're going to need a kidney transplant before you get any benefit <laughs> from the um, from, from the compound. Oh, okay. Yeah. But as Charlie Bamford taught us, uh, the, the, the stuff that's in beer is far more uh, easily taken up by the body. Yes. Yeah, than, than the, than but that's wine. a health red, claim. Red wine, you'd have to drink, yeah, you know, 18, 18 litres or something, wasn't it, to to, to get any noticeable effect. 18 litres. Yeah. I'll give it a go. Um, anyway. You're going to have other health problems quite apart from there, um, if you're drinking. Anyway. <laughs> and also Take in Queensland, at the moment, if you go to the pub or the brewery, do you have to stand up or you do you have to sit down or how to – I haven't been yet, have you? No. <laughs> you just get into the lockdown zone, don't you? And you're like, you forget you can go out. <laughs> Coming to work is a big day out for me. <laughs> me too. <There> you go. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, unless there's anything else, we probably should... Take her home. Thank you very much to Cry Malt, to Relling's label stickers and packaging, to Scar Fabricating and to our friends at New Zealand Ale Trail for making all this possible. Thanks very much, Matt. And don't forget our friends in the Facebook group who make it the most valuable beer discussion on the internet. Um, and don't forget that if we do read you out, claim your bar blade, thanks to our good friends at Thirsty Merch. Yes, don't make an unsubstantiated claim. Just make a... Uh, or a misleading claim, just make a, an actual one with your correct address. Hey, if you've listened this far into it, into this podcast... Oh, you're pot committed. Yeah, well, well, well no. You've got too many chips in front of you now. You go, no, I've got to wait for the end. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging around for the boom. Yeah, no, if, if you've listened this far, let me give you the tip. We don't check. Um, you know, if, if, if you we'll just send, send, an, if you send an email... People look, they, they're invested. Like, if, if, if they deserve it. If you're this far into this, um, and, and to, to hear this message, just matt at bruisenews.com.au with your postal address and you'll get a bar blade. But if you would like to contribute at, at the same time, the Even Facebook better. group is a place to do it or send us an email. Yeah. <laughs> 
They are very good barblades too. Yeah. So if you haven't got a barblade but want one and you're listening now, email. Even if you've had one before, send us in your address if you promise that you'll give it to somebody else because then yeah. that, that's, you know, that helps us. And, and, and we rely on you guys to spread the word so that other people can find out about this fine podcast, which is now up to episode 326. Can you believe, believe it? it? That's crazy. So whatever plans you got, guys, I've got for this week. Is it nice weather up there or? It's mm. crappy. It could be good for the weekend. Bloody freezing as well. Because yeah. it is here. Like it's 18 degrees, Pete. 19 degrees. We, obviously, we weren't the only ones who uh, were denied our, our Queensland mm. holiday during the, the school holidays. Yeah. Um, but then to find out that it was pretty shitty weather kind of made us feel a little bit better. Oh, yeah. yeah. Honked it, it down. Yeah. Honked it down. Yeah. And it, did, yeah. it didn't let off for like days as well. So, yeah, you're all right. Claire was building an arc. I was. So whatever you guys are doing uh, this week, enjoy. Uh, Until next week, I've been your host, Pete Mitchum. Drink fresh, drink local, look after yourselves and each other, especially in lockdown, and wash your damn hands. And we're out. Boom. Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive in return, as by way of thanks, a Brews News bottle opener. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation. Beer.